beware of getting adversarial. Watch for using the word but, because that means you're negating or dismissing what they said. Use and. Whatever they say, listen with your good ear so that you can stay on the track of a collaborative dialogue, not get at odds with each other. Hello, everyone. I'm Denise Gorant. Welcome to Bite Your Tongue, the podcast. Thanks for joining me for another conversation about the ins and outs of parenting adult children. Your diapering days are over. Now it's time to consider when to bite your tongue. So let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Bite Your Tongue, the podcast. I'm Denise Gorin, and I'm not joined today by my co-host, Dr. Ellen Broughton, because she's working on a book. She'll not be joining me for the next few episodes, so we're on our own. Now today, before I introduce my guests, I want to talk a little bit about the podcast and what I hope we're accomplishing. First, I hope we're developing a really supportive group of people, all looking for discussion on parenting adult child. We all know as our children or other people in our lives reach young adulthood, our parenting roles change. And we as parents need to pivot, give them the space they need, and learn how to support them in a positive way. You know, I was motivated to start this podcast when I started reading articles about young adults actually divorcing their parents because they were too intrusive. It seemed a bit crazy, but I think it's a fine line of engagement, love, and respect. That's what I hope we'll talk about. And certainly doing a podcast is much harder than I ever anticipated. I'm really loving it, though, and learning so much. I hope you are, too. So let's get started with today's episode. And today is all about your questions. Not one of these questions is mine, but I do think we have the very best person with us to help us with the answers. Welcome, Dr. Susan Heitler. She's a renowned relationship therapist, the author of several books, and she teaches collaborative communication. But what I like the most about her is that she doesn't beat around the bush. She gives you the real tools to make real changes. Thank you so much, Dr. Heitler, for joining us today. You can't imagine how thrilled I am to have you. I'd like to let the listeners know that you're living in Israel right now. Well, it's a wonderful place to live. Now, I've already given the listeners a bit of background about you, but I'd like you to introduce yourself, and then we'll get started. Well, we moved to Israel because... We were parents, and now we're grandparents, and let's see, nine of our grandchildren live here, as well as two of our kids. So I'm somebody who really values family and relationships amongst all the generations. My specialty as a therapist is couples therapy. That's a practice I do here in Israel, much like uh, back in the States. And I'm a compulsive teacher, so I... (laughs) I keep trying to help people out with these things. And I know that you knew, do a great job from my own experience. So um, oh, I, I'm beyond excited to have you. And the way I approach this one is I have my listeners send me questions. So none of these okay. questions are really mine. They came from lots of different people from lots of different places. Um, right. So I separated them into categories. And the first okay. category we're going to talk about is keeping connected. I mean, I heard you say how you value the the relationships between generations and everything I read right. about what you write about relationships. Excuse me, just a minute. I missed one word there. Keeping what? Um, oh, keeping relationships among generations ah, strong. You, you, you value Good. that. 
Yes, absolutely. Everything I read that you write, I feel like even though you specialize in couples counseling, it translates into children, into, you know, almost anything. It seems very transferable in the way that you relate to someone, respect them and develop a relationship with them. So I think a lot of your skills are going to translate here. So let's start with keeping connected. So how do you get adult kids who don't check in with their parents enough to engage a little more? To relieve the parental worry or maybe out of respect, how much is a minimum? A call once a week, every other week, a text? What should parents expect from their adult children or want? So one of the assumptions in the question you're giving me is that the parents and children are not living close together. Correct. I will say we moved here to be close to our kids and grandkids. And this is a country where on the weekends you see three and even four generations out together all the time. You go to a park, it's three at least grandparents, adult children, and the younger children, and sometimes even an older generation. Um, So it's a... In Europe, I believe it's more like here in Israel. Uh, I had a secretary with a Mexican background. It was that way with her family, even back in Denver when they all moved there. So it's an oddity, not normal, for kids and parents to be separated in their adult lives, which is how it is normal for most adults in the U.S., That's very sad. It's very happy if the generations don't get along with each other. And it's very sad, particularly as the older generation grows older. But also for the younger generations, when I see how much grandchildren value being able to be with their grandparents. So that's my sermon on that subject. I understand that. And I think what you're saying is correct. But then this leads me to this other question that was asked quite a bit. bit. You know, in Western culture, parenting experts are always stressing individuality, independence, helping our children find who they are. You know, travel has become much easier. Kids have to move away sometimes, whether it be for jobs, education, or even their spouse. So with that distance, how do you, what are the ideas or steps that you can work to keep the attachments in place? Right. So any connection makes a difference. Phone calls make a big difference. What you do on the phone call makes a difference. Zoom is that much more connectivity because it's obviously visual as well as auditory. It's not the same as face-to-face to hug It's not the same. Okay, having said that, I'm rubbing it in a little bit. I'm rubbing it in for the grandparent generation to think about moving close to their children because the older generation often has a lot more flexibility than younger people whose location is uh, job dependent. Okay, having said that, what can they do? So looking at the pace of connecting, In my own experience, once a week phone calls have been standard. We have other kids who live elsewhere, not here close to us in Israel. Even within the same town, at least once a week phone call keeps you connected. Then the question is, what are you doing on that phone call? That's exactly what my next question was. My guess is if they're not checking in often, it's not pleasurable for them. They may call out of obligation. 
I felt that way a little bit with my own parents. I loved them very much, but they asked me too many questions. What are your goals? How's your relationship? Do you think, you know, I felt on the spot a lot. So how can we work to make these calls better? What do we ask? What do we refrain from asking? You're always so helpful with giving us the words to use. Okay. Uh, Principle number one, good questions begin with how or what. So how's your work going? What's the latest with your new company? Those tend to be good questions. If they're going to be followed, the answer is going to be followed with your advice, you've spoiled the question. The question itself, though, how or what is usually good. Contrast how or what with, are you, oh, that's a setup. What if you give the wrong answer? And all at most it gets yes or no. Did you? Why did you? Why didn't you? Delete. So how? So what's the follow-up? Let's role play here. Um, You're my child, and I say, how are things at work? Uh, interesting. Coming along. So what's my follow-up? <laughs> That's great. Uh-huh. Do you want to tell me more? I don't say, do you want to tell me more? Do I? What do I say at that point? A, a second what or how question can be very helpful. Okay. I loved your instinct, though, which is to start your response with something positive. That's great. Or yes. Or I agree. To establish, you're going to be having an additive dialogue, not getting adversarial. Then add the next question. Then add the next question. How do you get them right. to talk more? That's where the questions make a difference. But sometimes they shut down. Like, yeah. how are things at work? Oh, I had such a hard day. I don't want to talk about it. So in addition to questions, I statements are helpful. I'd love to hear what's going on there. If you're comfortable talking about it, I'm very interested. Gosh, I love the way you talk. <laughs> That's why you always used to. Uh, what, was it that you, what did you like just then? I love the way you had a warmth about you and were not, uh, not accusatory, but just, oh, I'd love to hear more about it if you're comfortable. Right. The customer is always right. Your children are always right. So you want to be sure you answer, respond with something that's positive. Okay. Okay. That's interesting that you don't want to talk about it. It's funny to me. I go on and on all day about my work. So I'm, I'm intrigued that you like to keep your work to yourself. I'm fascinated. Interesting. Always looking for a way to be positive, whatever their answer. Okay. Always looking for a way to be positive, whatever their answer. Right. Now, positive doesn't mean, ooh, ah, ooh, ah. It just means agreeing and adding. Agree and add. Agree and add. Agree and add. Agree and add. All right. I'm going to take us to the next. I could probably talk about that forever. We may go back to it, but I want to go to, to significant others. So Uh I had this question probably four times. How do you approach the topic with your adult children and their significant other? If you see a few red flags, right, exactly. Or even they're in a relationship for a long time and you see lots of red flags, over-controlling, isolating friends, or their partner's life is riddled with problems. How do you start a conversation about it? Where do you start a conversation about it? Or do you just bite your tongue? Yes. All of the above are good questions, and there's no single best answer. 
Uh, I would say in my own experience, there was just one case in which uh, when the kids were dating, I had very negative feelings about the boyfriend. It looked like it was getting closer and closer to a potential marriage. At that point, after a long period of biting my tongue, I felt like I had to say something. My rule of thumb for that was say it, say it once, say it as my concerns are, I'd like to talk with you about something that's been very much on my mind. I've held back a long time from saying anything because it's your life, and I'm very reluctant to interfere, and not but, because but would take away what you just said, which was so kindly. And at the same time, I've been staying up at night, make it about you. I've been staying up at night having trouble sleeping with images that scare me a lot. Now, hopefully I've piqued his or her interest. I'm noticing some things in that relationship and about your friend that I finally decided I would really appreciate if you would allow me to say something. Okay, assuming. Oh, go ahead, Mom. (laughs) Thank you so much. I really appreciate the chance to get this off my chest. You can do with the information what you want. Um, um, You're grown up, and I trust you'll make whatever decision is right for you. I just want to add some input about what I'm seeing that concerns me. So I'm not telling her what to do or him what to do. I'm expressing my concerns. And how specific are you with those concerns? Very. Okay. I noticed, this is one actually, that my mother said to my grandmother, to my her granddaughter, my daughter, she said, honey, I'm very concerned about that boy who stayed for the weekend with us. When it was time to go, he watched you carry all the suitcases down the stairs. And, and end of statement. Mm-hmm. Or maybe that worries me. You're plenty strong, and yet mm, it just worries me. I'm not sure what it means. That was her way. She did it very delicately. Yeah, that is. And we all remember when she said that. That is very delicate. And, you know, when young yeah. adults are at that age where they're making those decisions, they sometimes think they know more. So in that situation, I may have said, I don't want him to help me. I'm very capable. You know, I might have taken that. That's wonderful. Always agree in that. I think that's wonderful. And I totally agree. You're totally capable. And at the same time, it worries me. I don't know if it means something about his level of generosity, how much he's tuned in versus just self-absorbed. It could mean, I don't know what it means exactly, that he's low energy. It could mean that he has health problems. It could mean all kinds of things. It's not normal. Normally, there there are some roles that men normally pitch right in on, and especially with grandma watching. <laughs> oh, gosh. I don't know. I, I, I like that, but I could hear even my daughter Times have changed, Mom. You know, um, they don't open doors as often, or we don't want that, you know. Uh. Again, I agree. And if it's just, if it turns out that it's just a matter of custom, 
This is great. And I just felt that I needed to say something to make sure your eyes are open and you'll check out in other areas just what that did mean or talk it over with him. Yep, that's perfect. So you, you keep agreeing and I agree with you and no buts. Right. A strong end is and at the same time. And at right. the same and, time. Right. Very good. Okay. How about navigating your relationship with your child's spouse? Is it possible to establish an authentic relationship with your son or daughter-in-law? Mother-in-laws tend to walk on eggshells. I'm looking for an authentic relationship to the extent possible, and I don't know how to achieve this over time. Where do I start? How do I manage it? And what are the pitfalls? Your son-in-law or daughter-in-law is not a son and not a daughter. So you do want not to walk on eggshells. That's too tense. You do want to be aware and be careful because they're more than just a stranger that's coming into the house. They're more than a friend. They're going to be in your family. So you want to keep a good, excuse me, positive relationship. And at the same time, you want it to be more heartfelt, more deep, more more, more than you would normally have with with one of your children's friends. You also really want it to be positive. So there's no room for criticism. There's no room for blame, either in talking about that person or in talking with that person. What's most important is to find, I find, is to find commonalities, things you can do together, topics you can enjoy talking about together. So you build a friendship there. Whatever for you builds friendship is ideal. I I would add, too, that both with your own adult child and their partner, pay attention to which of the A's you're giving. You don't want to give any anger, even irritation, frustration, never mind rage. So that's the A word that's out. What you do want to do is appreciation, affection, admiration. Help me out. What are some other (laughs) I think those are all good. (laughs) Yeah. The the more of those, the more you develop an A-plus relationship. Even if you have to fake it. Uh, I wouldn't fake it. They have to be genuine. They have to be genuine. genuine. Okay. Yeah. So I'm always on the lookout for things that my daughters and son-in-laws do that I like, and I speak up about it. Oh, that talk you gave that I heard the other night, I just loved it. I especially liked the point you made about ba-ba-ba-ba, or uh, this is, it comes to mind because uh, one of my daughter-in-laws is a professor, and I got to take one of her cor- courses. Oh, my goodness. Another example of a way you connect in their world whenever there's an opportunity. And what if you see things that really concern you, the the wife or, you know, uh, son-in-law or son-in-law or daughter-in-law overspending? You know, that's happened a lot right now in particularly, I think, my generation, the baby boomers. Our parents watched us, but now we see it in our kids' generation, you know, not being frugal with their money or not managing it properly taking elaborate vacations. Can you say something when you see that kind of activity going on, or is that really none of your business? Uh, Both. (laughs) Okay. 
So on the whole, how they manage their sexual life, their money, and to some extent their parenting, although there's more of an exception there, they're adults now. At the same time, if you find a tactful way to bring it up, so that you're talking about you, not them, is the key, or talking about the topic in general, not them. I'll give an example. Okay. Gee, I read a magazine article. Hunt on the web. You can always <laughs> find some article. Yeah, I, I read an article about the different spending patterns in the, your generation versus my generation. I'm really curious what your thoughts are about that. The more you get them to talk, the better. Okay, that makes sense. And then again, whatever they say, the customer is always right. Agree and add. Agree and add. We're all going to have to practice right. this. <laughs> yes. I agree that it's important to be able to take vacations. And at the same time, I, I get anxious when my husband and I take a vacation that's going to take, cost a lot of money. How do you feel when you do a, a large, more extravagant? Uh-huh. How do you justify it to yourself? How and what questions? Good questions to be How and what? Okay. And this is sort of along the same line. Can I give supportive relationship advice to my child in the early stages of marriage based on hard lessons I've learned or observed? Or is this a non-starter? I once saw a man, uh, he was a rabbi actually, uh, right now, I remember the moment so clearly. We were standing in front of a grocery store and he saw his daughter and she was scolding the child. He said to her, oh, I know where you got that habit. That's just what I used to do. So talking about yourself rather than about the adult child is one technique. Like your dad and I really struggled with blah, blah, blah. Your dad and I really struggled with blah, blah, blah. And I feel sad that we weren't able to give a better um, set of solutions. And I see the next generation. We handed that problem down to your generation. What are your thoughts on how you're going to figure it out? Interesting. None of your business, Mom. Okay, I just thought I'd mention it. I'm glad to talk about it at any point if you want. Oh, gosh. Okay. Um, (laughs) (laughs) What brought the sigh? I think that, you know, um, and I'm talking more personally now, you have such a nice tone in your voice. I have a harder tone in my voice. So when I listen to you, I wish I could be softer. This is a wonderful observation. Wonderful observation. It's hugely important, especially when you're talking to the in-law and also with your adult children, that you use a tone of voice that you would use with your very favorite friend. I talk loud to all my favorite friends, Dr. Heitler. They all tell me I talk (laughs) too loud. (laughs) (laughs) Well, in that case, your kids may be used to loud. That's true. That's true. Oh, that that makes it a little different. Yeah, that's true. Some of these are cultural things. What you want to avoid is anything that's critical, shaking your finger at them, pointing the finger at them, or even subtly critical, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. derogatory, mm-hmm. certainly no sarcasm. 
Give me an example of what sarcasm would be. What do you mean by that? How would you use sarcasm? Uh, there you go again. Oh, okay. Another foolish expense. Okay, got it. I'm not very good at sarcasm, but I think that would kind of, I know. I, <laughs> I don't think I'm very good at sarcasm either. That's why I had to, um, I had to have you give me an example because that's something I don't think I do too often. Good. <laughs> and by contrast with the stay away from critical complaining or commands, telling them what to do, that's out. At the same time, what you do want to do, fill your relationship with affection admiration, appreciation, and fun. And also sharing what's important to you and most important, asking them about things that are important to them. How are the kids doing? What's happening with that reading problem that Jimmy was having? How's Jimmy's baseball team going? What, what, do you, what kinds of projects is your company taking on these days? But you also have to be careful in the conversation, particularly now if your children aren't married, not to focus just on the work. Because I think sometimes when you focus just on their work, they, I don't want to say they see it as judgmental, but I don't know how to say what, I, what I'm thinking. But um, not always just how the company's doing. How are you doing? What are you doing for fun? Absolutely. Right. Yeah. So what, what, did, what are your plans for this weekend? Or what did you do last weekend? Or who, along with how and what, who sometimes is is good. Um, who is there in that big city of New York that's interesting to you? Who have you been meeting? I'm very curious. All right. Um, one person asked about mental health. When do you intervene yes. if you think your child has a mental health issue? Nothing debilitating, but you sense as a parent your child might seem depressed. Is there a different yes. approach depending on age, college student versus 30 or 40-year-old? That question I'm not so sure about. In both cases, how and what question? So what's been going on? What are you feeling good about? Oh, nothing. Uh-oh, that worries me. Tell me more about that. How, you know, what's been on your mind or what's going on or Gosh, your voice sounds kind of down to me. Am I misinterpreting that? How are you feeling? Can you ever suggest counseling? Even someone said, we did a, an episode on um, weddings, and someone said that they always encourage their children before they get married, even if they love the partner, you know, to go through some counseling, to deal with some issues that come into marriage. How do you suggest to your child that they should think about counseling? Absolutely. If... If you see any signs of depression <clears throat> or uh, too much bickering going on, negative things going on between the couple, rather than comment on and try to fix it in some way, that's sometimes an excellent solution. But uh, recommending, gee, maybe some counseling would help. At the same time, a word of warning, if there's marital problems and your son or daughter goes to individual therapy, the odds of that helping are not very good. The odds of that leading to divorce are unfortunately too high. Make sure that you suggest they see a couple's counselor if it's a couple's problem. I cannot emphasize that strongly enough. Another thing you can do is say to them, you know, 
counselors aren't like aspirins. They're not all alike. On the one hand, I'd love to see you get into counseling, and I'm even willing to pay for the first three sessions. At the same time, I'd really recommend you go into it with kind of interviewing the therapist. Make sure, Maybe read a few books about what therapy is supposed to do for couples. Um, that's reminding me I need to write an article on that topic. <laughs> I think that's critical because right now everyone's hanging a shingle and there's online counselors and there are all, all of these kinds of things. Right. And it's hard to find the one that's going to be appropriate for your situation. Also, online is not a good idea for couples counseling. I myself, I, and I've been doing this for 45 years, couples counseling, I find it very difficult to do on the online. It, it just doesn't work. Is it because you're not able to read the body language as much? But that's part of it. They're both looking at the screen instead of at each other. They need to talk with each other. By the way, one sign of what to me is problematic couples counseling, if, you're, if the couple is sitting on a couch side by side, each facing the therapist, who are they going to talk with? The therapist. Right. That's not where they need help. Anyone can talk with the therapist. They need to have chairs that are more or less facing each other, and the therapist needs to be encouraging them to talk with each other. Right, right. That's how the therapist learns what's really going on in the relationship and how the therapist guides improvement. Most of the parents that I got questions with, their children were millennials. This came from someone that has is a parent of a Gen Z. So they would be born between two. Okay, that's what I'm going to tell you. Between like 2000 and 2018, they're the only generation that has had technology since they were born. Okay, so they're really connected. Um, they have had access to information at a moment's notice all of their life. And one parent was saying what they feel sometimes is they need to step away from their technology and maybe listen to a grandparent or ask questions of the real world rather than Google everything all the time. How would they approach talking to their Gen Z child or grandchild about that? You got me. <laughs> uh, the one suggestion I have is to make opportunities for that. Invite them out for lunch and mention in passing, oh, by the way, I have a rule, no telephones at in the restaurant. I hope that's okay with you. So I love the way you end that. I hope that's okay with you. And nowadays, a lot of them say, you know, I need to have my phone for my job. And you never know whether they're really doing their job or responding to friends. Uh-huh. Hmm. That's interesting to me that you need the phone on for your job. What kind of emergency could come up that they wouldn't, your people at work wouldn't be able to wait an hour while you have lunch with your grandma? You always have an answer. <laughs> and often the best answer is a question. Often the best answer is a question. Say that again. Yes, often the best answer is a question. Gee, I need it for work. What kind of emergency could come up that it would be so important that you would allow them to interrupt you when you're having a family lunch. Many times they'll come up with something. Well, you know, the plumbing might break in the office I'm working with, and I've got to make sure to get that plumber taken care of. But how often does that really happen? <laughs> um, yeah. Well, gee, I sure hope that kind of emergency doesn't happen while 
we're out to lunch. Because interruptions are an interesting thing, and there is a whole study of interruptions. Anytime you're building connection with somebody, each interruption brings you back to, to step one. When you're building a connection with somebody, you're sitting out to dinner, the phone rings, that's an interruption. When you come back to the conversation, the intimacy level, the sense of connection will go back to the beginning, or at least back significantly from where it was when the phone rang. So instead of building an ever closer relationship, instead of building on conversations, you're one step forward, one step back, one step forward, one step back with each interruption. That's interesting because I have a terrible habit, and I'm not a Generation Z, of being in a conversation at dinner with my family or whatever, and something comes up, and I immediately want to Google it to get the answer. I'm immediately taking a step backwards from the intimacy of that conversation, correct? Exactly. Mm -hmm. As opposed to, wow, that was interesting. I think when I get home, I'm going to Google that. Maybe I'll even jot myself down a note. Mm -hmm. I'm highly guilty of that, highly guilty. Um, Sometimes I think maybe it's also a defense mechanism not to engage as intimately and pull yourself back. Yes, and it's difficult because none of these things are absolute. Uh, I know somebody who keeps his phone with him and two or three times in the course of a conversation will look up something about what we're talking about. On the one hand, the contributions he brings are often quite interesting. At the same time, I find it extremely off-putting. It's like uh, rejecting the person you're talking with in favor of Mr. Google. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think that's a huge, wonderful piece of information that many of us that do that. It's exactly right. You're usually Googling about something you're talking about. You're adding to the conversation, but you're also pulling back from the intimacy of the conversation. And at a cost. Mm -hmm. I'm very sensitive to and versus but. Okay, okay, and. You're adding to the, um, you're Googling something important and at a cost. And at a cost. It's quite distracting also for the other person. Absolutely. Many times my husband or my children will say, mom, put that down. (laughs) (laughs) I am definitely the guilty party on that one. Uh Now I wonder a little bit what your role is when your children are adults. What do you do when you see them, your adult children, you feel like you've given them all the tools and you see evidence of not great table manners or not sending a thank you note, not reciprocating fully, and you almost feel embarrassed yourself about it because all their life you've taught them these kinds of niceties. Do you have a role in saying, hey, well, you say it better than I would say it. Can you say anything? For the most part... If you weigh the importance of your relationship with the importance of that habit, hmm, that'll give you some good data. At the same time, if you do it by talking about yourself and maybe in an indirect way, you know, I look back on what's the role of a parent. And I think I was never very good at teaching kids the basic rules. I had an example like that that came up with one of my daughters the other day. I had noticed that her teenagers just get up and leave the table when everyone else is eating. So I said, you know, it's so interesting to me how mores change, customs change. When I was growing up, there was an ironclad rule, 
everybody sits down together at the table. Nobody starts eating until everybody's at the table. And nobody gets up from the table until everybody's ready to get up from the table. I see that that's different now. (laughs) And what was the response? Yeah, it is different now. (laughs) And you let it go then. So then I did a little agree and add. Yeah, it sure is. And I can see times when it's actually helpful for the grown-ups when like the little kids get up and leave because then that lets the grown-ups hang out longer around the dinner table and talk. And, and, and I guess the middle ground is for the teenagers when it's appropriate, when it's not. And then she said something that I thought meant that she's hearing it. She said, you know, sometimes they're just so tired I think a lot of the time they get up to lie down on the couch, which is true. True. So I was very happy with that conversation. Okay. I didn't tell her what to do. I just used the highlighter on something that's going on. Okay. I want to make sure to get through all these, um, although I love when you keep talking because everything you add is so wonderful. Thank you. As a parent, and it's usually the mom... I have adult children. Should I still be organizing all the family time, the vacations, the weekly dinners, the family outings? Everyone is so busy. What's the best way to ensure engagement without me always being responsible? There actually was an article in the New York Times about this after I read this question. When It, it said, when do you ask the kids to take over the uh, holiday meals, etc.? It's a great question. One answer that comes to mind is to be sure it's not all or nothing. A good way to start is doling out or asking or making a cooperative effort of some of those activities. Gee, I'm so glad we're going to be all going to the beach this summer. I would love to divvy up the various roles. I made a list of the roles, and I'm going to each of you kids now to find out which you'd be willing to take on, and I'm willing to fill in what's left. So sort of leave it open for them to make the decision on their role, but sort of which role, which role, right? but provide for them some right. of the opportunities. Right. So I had a funny opposite experience just this morning, in fact. I had mentioned to the kids that our 50th wedding anniversary is coming up, and I'd love to mark it in some way. And everybody said, oh, let's have a party. So we're going to have a lunch party. Today I said, well, mm, well I'm wondering, well, how's the caterer situation coming along? And she said, Mom, we're giving you a party. <laughs> we'll take care of it. I loved it. You felt very taken care of too, I bet. Exactly. So that who's taking care of and who gets taken care of is a gradual curve that ideally happens in a gentle way over later decades in every way. So this this next question we've talked about, but I want to just say it again because I want you to repeat what you've said. Everyone always asks about giving advice. You know, when I saw you when my children were young, you always had the right words. Is there a way you can offer advice without sounding judgmental or overly intrusive? Right. So one thought is forget about giving advice. Just don't do it. At the same time, you can offer information. So anything like you should or why don't you, problematic giving them information. You know, I've heard that couples therapists can be very helpful. 
And I've heard that uh, you want to be sure that there's a kind of therapist that teaches skills and that also looks back underneath whatever the problem patterns are so that you feel like in a deeper way you're getting understanding. I'm giving information. And when I said you want to be sure, that's too much. I would say I've heard that couples, counselors are particularly effective if they're good at helping you plan for the future and at understanding when you look back what's been going on. How about if it's in relation to their job, like you're seeing them in a job that seems where they're in a dead-end job? Um, how can you offer right. advice for them to maybe start looking or look at what's, I know you can't say that. How would you right. say it? Again, no advice. Either offer information, offer positive feedback about them. Uh, whatever you focus on, you'll get more of. So if you say, you know, I've, I'm impressed again and again, what a good problem solver you are. How much in your current job is there a chance to move up? And that's other technique, how and what questions. Mm -hmm. How much is there a chance for you to move up to a position where you'll be a, a problem solver in the organization? Or I, you're, you're always good at handling challenges. How many opportunities, what kind of opportunity? or you can't say what either, right? Yes, what and how what and how? the good okay. guy. <laughs> okay. Yeah, what kind of challenges are you able to address in that job? And what's keeping you excited about being there? Ah, that's a lovely one. How will you know when you're ready to move on to the next job? She innocently plants a seed. Okay, now this, this part is resentment or dislike. This is our last part. Okay. Um, and I've read about this a lot. Your child resents the way you parented them and continues to express it. Is there a, is mm -hmm. there a reply to that? You know, I just... You were the worst parent. Uh -huh. I felt like you didn't let me do what I wanted to do or, you know, just whatever. They, they they now have children or even if they don't, they might say, I wish you would have done this or, you know, I just didn't like the way you raised me. The same formula, agree and add. Only when you agree, you can reframe slightly. So worst parent, you don't need to agree with that. Was I a parent that really lacked some parenting skills? You better believe it. I certainly believe it now. I can see. And I love talking with you about the mistakes I made so that I can relax that you won't make the same mistakes I made. Interesting. And that immediately puts the other person, they're almost quiet. They, you, you sort of validated uh -huh. their feelings. And that can be a wonderful topic of conversation. Gee, honey, I love looking at the past with you and figuring out what were the mistakes that I made as a parent and how would I do different now? I, I, I think it's fascinating because I can see I was clueless about so many things. Very good. Um, what if you feel like your adult child just doesn't like you as a person? You get along, you feel loved, mm -hmm. you love them but they really don't like you. You're on totally different platforms or worlds. Mm -hmm. So I had a very interesting mother-daughter therapy case like that. Sometimes it turns out there's a lot of stuff under the surface mm -hmm. that went out there. And that is a potential issue that to go to a therapist, a family therapist, and talk that out with a third party there to help you could be marvelous. Yeah. At the same time, what and how? I might say to you, you know, when you said that to me just now, 
I'm having trouble understanding what your tone was, what your emotion was. What were you feeling toward me when you said that? Well, I was pissed at you, Mom. <laughs> oh, that's what I thought. So I'm relieved that I at least interpreted it correctly. At the same time, I would love to know what you're pissed about because, you know, obviously I, I do not want to keep doing things that are provocative for you. And I really have no idea. I think that's good. But I think what you said about the family therapist or the yeah, family therapist is also very good, too, because there usually are underlying things, I would guess. Often. Often. There's a, there can be a lot. So in the case um, of this couple, for instance, the adult daughter had way more underlying issues, problems than her mother had been aware of. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the scorn and irritability with the mother had to do with broader issues going on in the daughter's life. Mm-hmm. And also we're getting acted out with the husband. So it's complicated and touchy. I bet. And I will say that the girl was wonderfully open and learned a lot and I think grew a lot. I bet. And again, we can relate it back to what she saw between her parents. That's interesting. This was an, this, we have just two more questions. What do you do when your adult kids do the eye rolling? You're a dinosaur when it comes to the modern world. How can you let them fix your computer, but still have them remember that you have 60 plus years of life experience? Uh-huh. Personally, I just appreciate that they can fix my computer <laughs> and let them roll their eyes. I'll roll with it. Oh, boy. What would I do if I didn't have a seven-year-old grandson who can come fix my computer for me. So just forget it. Uh, enjoy it. Enjoy it. Okay. And now this is the final question. Can you get back on track? If your relationship is strained, you haven't used your, you haven't presented things properly, you've been judgmental, you've asked the wrong questions, can you get back on track? Absolutely, yes. What steps would a parent take? Well, of course, I would encourage them to read my book, The Power of Two, because it reviews the skills that that we've talked about so far, dialogue skills, so that you're listening with your good ear to really take in information, not to batter it away, and so that you're talking only in a tactful way, et cetera, et cetera. You know, maintaining good family relationships that's a high skills activity. The power of two. I'm going to remember to put the link to that book in the episode notes and also on our social media, because I think you're right. I remember that book and I've got to bring it out to refresh my memory. (laughs) Um, There's the power of two, the power of two workbook. And there's also for people, you know, the new generation. It's online. Power of two marriage.com. Okay, okay. If you go to power2.com, they get a Christian rock group. Very nice, <laughs> only if they're looking for the skills, power of two marriage. Be careful not to get scared off by the word marriage right. in the title. Right. As you said so astutely earlier, it's the same skill set, whether it's between spouses, parents and children, certainly parents and adult children, and even at work or with friendships. You know, it's funny. I was listening to an NPR story. I thought of you. It was a few years ago, and it was a woman who was training SEALs at SeaWorld. Hmm. She realized, if I can find it, I'll send it to you. Many of the tools that she used to train her SEALs, 
she could also apply to training her husband. Many of the (laughs) techniques were very similar to what you have always suggested to me throughout my life. And I laughed and I thought, boy, this is very Susan Heitler-ish. And everything she said was so true. It was done very funny, but it was very real. My guess is an example of that would be the parenting technique of catch them doing it. Yes, yes. So instead of you didn't make your bed, again, you didn't make your bed. And then one day they kind of threw the cloth on like it looked made. Oh, I'm so thrilled. (laughs) to see the way you made your bed today. Right, right, right. There were other things too. I'm going to look for it. But before we end, I always Wait, ask, I always ask my guests to give us two or three takeaways. If you want my listeners to leave with two or three things that are the most valuable in parenting their adult children, what would you say? Number 1, beware of getting adversarial. Watch for using the word but cuz that means you're negating or dismissing what they said. Use and, whatever they say, listen with your good ear so that you can stay on the track of a collaborative dialogue, not get uh, at odds with each other. That's number one. Be very attuned to when you're being cooperative, collaborative, and when the dialogue suddenly switched to adversarial. Another way to put it is, Make sure you always feel like you're sitting on the same side of the table vis-a-vis the topic you're talking about, not across the table fighting about it. That's number one. That's number two, I think. Number (laughs) two and three. (laughs) Yeah. Get the skills for maintaining collaborative dialogue. It's a skill set. It's fun to learn. It's not that hard, and it makes a big difference. And number three would be enjoy your adult children and adult children enjoy your parents. That's wonderful. I really thank you so much for joining me today. This has been a delight for me. Those are great pieces of advice for all of us to take with us. Thank you so much for joining us all the way from Israel. What a treat. So listeners, you can see from this episode that Dr. Heitler is so gifted in relationship therapy. She's known for clarifying the basics of collaborative dialogue and provides wonderful techniques for all of us to use, not only with our adult children, but for all the relationships in our lives we value. You can find a lot more about Dr. Heitler and her books, listen to her TED Talk, and lots more if you visit her website, therapytalk.com. And don't forget, you can get the episode show notes by clicking the description wherever you're listening to your podcast. Bite Your Tongue is now on every platform, so you should be able to access it very easily. At some point, we'll have a website, but we're working towards that. If you want to support us, love the free content, there's many ways you can help. Number one, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast and give us a review. We love reading them. Number two, Follow Bite Your Tongue on all the social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We love hearing from you, and we really want to keep the conversation going. And last but not least, please share this episode today with a friend, a family member, a co-worker, anyone you want to share it with, just share it. That helps us so much. All right, everyone, that's it. Another episode will drop in two weeks, and remember... Sometimes you just have to bite your tongue.